How y'all doing? Y'all can get a little bit louder than that. I have a feeling. How are y'all doing 11 a.m.? Better. Glad to be here. We're not going to waste a lot of time getting into this. I'm not going to make any announcements. They did a great job. Um, we're just going to hop into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for just the atmosphere that's already been created here by God, just people being obedient to your voice and praising you, God. We just thank you that your words come out of my mouth, not mine. And we just give this service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many know that there is 525,600 minutes in a year? Did y'all know that? Uh, Tiffany actually said there's a New Year's song that was like 525,000. I said, I don't know that. I've never heard that song. Um, matter of fact, many years, I, New Year's, I don't even remember. So, But there's 525,600 minutes in a year. All right? Also, the average lifespan of a human being is around 80 years. In those 80 years, if you are blessed enough, if you are lucky enough to live those 80 years, you will experience about 42,042,000 minutes. It's a lot of minutes. The thing about that many minutes, it seems like monotonous, right? When we think about time, have you ever had to wait on somebody for 15 minutes? I live in a house full of women. You know, oh, it's, I do a lot of waiting. Like, man, this, fifth, this is the longest 15 minutes I've ever experienced in my life. I don't believe this clock's right. But we go through minutes, and they seem monotonous. They seem like they're leading us nowhere. We actually came up with a word for it. Well, we, I say we, I mean the human race came up. I didn't. But it's minute. Have you ever heard minutia or minute? You ever heard that word? It actually comes from... Uh, a Greek word, and it means this. It's the adjective is very small, infinitesimal, of small importance, trifling. Or the noun we have is a measurement of time, a 60th of an hour. Very small. See, both of these expressions come from the Latin word minutus. Now, Chris and Kelly are not the only ones that are brushing up on their Latin and Greek. I know some today, all right? Let's not get it confused. I got it. But that minutus means incon inconsequential, small. But then there's, we got minutes, but then we got moments. Moments. Moments are a lot different than the trivial minutes. We have minutes, but then I can look back at my life over all those minutes, and I can see the moments God has been shaping for my life. Also, there's negative moments that we might live inside of. Something might happen, and that could define how we move forward. We have moments. I actually have a few of my moments right here. I'm going to show you a few of them. If you want to bring these up. Right there. This guy. Right there. Look at him. Look at that exclamation point on my head. No wonder I shaved my head now. I look like David Letterman in this picture. You hear me? That's horrible. But if I would have let these moments define me, then I wouldn't have the moments that come after. Let's see him right there. I wouldn't have that. My beautiful wife, that's Kenley. Look how so much of a sumo wrestler she was. My goodness. You can go on. Man, look at Dude, look at that dude. That is the cutest guy ever. That's me. I, we, I graduated Tennessee Westland this year. That's so cool. You can keep him coming. 
Man, look at the, those are some of the coolest dudes you'll ever see in the world. My brothers right here. Look, I got to meet Head from Corn. That was awesome. Here's Oliver Anthony. Man, that's, those are some cool moments I've got to experience because I didn't let those earlier moments define who I was. Look at that. My daughter's at a concert. That's us with her. my mom. Man, just moments I can think back of and say, thank God. Look, me and Kelly last year at the Alabama, we're not living in the present this year, but we got beat. This is last year. Last year we're remembering this time. This is Tiffany, first time I got, she got to speak in here. Moments I'll treasure forever. This is me and her ministering together on the stage at the same time. This is me holding my daughter Kenley while we're praising and worshiping God. She fell asleep in the presence of God. That's the kind of moments I got moving forward now. Moments. Is that all the moments? All right. We got moments, guys, that can define us. A moment means a special time, an opportune time. Have you ever heard of a defining moment? Something that really rocked your world for good or bad? You know, then there's sometimes there's embarrassing moments that we don't catch on video or camera or anything like that. Does anybody have an embarrassing moment in their life that would, nobody will let them live it down? I've got one. All right, this past summer, at the end of the summer, me and Tiffany thought we will take our family and we will go to Soaky Mountain. We'll have fun with our kids. So us, our family, Brent and Katie and their kids, we go to Soaky Mountain and we're having fun. The problem with me is that I still think that I'm a 180-pound 18-year-old, but I'm a 43-year-old 230-pound man. And I think I can do what my 18-year-old self could do. That's not the case, okay? So we're going through there, and we see an obstacle course there. And I'm like, Brent, me and you's going to race. Me and you's doing this thing right here. Like, matter of fact, the winner is going to buy the other person's dinner. Let's go. So we line up. All of East Tennessee is here that day, I think. So they're back here. Nobody's in front of us, but we're here. Okay, let me set the scene. There is a chasm of water between us and the flotation device over here that we got to run on. So no matter what, unless you are an Olympic long jumper, you are not going to make that jump. You've got to go in the water first. So I make that jump, I go in the water, and my pants come down. <laughs> All of the gravity and everything else pulled my pants down. So I am trying to get on the float, trying to pull my pants up. It's not happening. It is horrible. Bless God, these people behind me scarred them for life, I'm sure. So once you get, I get up on the float, and I'm starting to go, I'm up for about two seconds. I look over at Brent. He's not doing much better than I am, but he's still got his pants. So we go. We fall off. Once you fall off, you're off. You can't get back on. You ever heard of a walk of shame? We had a swim of shame. I'm swimming. I'm like, dear Jesus, they seen my whole butt. They seen my whole butt. I get out. And I'm like, I'm walking to Tiffany. I'm not looking at anybody else. I know she's seen my butt. I don't want to see everybody else's reaction. I know she's seen my butt. So I get over there, and I'm like, she's like, God, you're, you're embarrassed. You're, I've never seen you embarrassed before. And I'm like, it's really hard to embarrass you. I was like, yeah, I don't really get embarrassed that much. It would have been okay if they just seen my butt, but I'm pretty sure they seen my tonsils. It was all out there. <laughs> like, it was pretty bad. 
Matter of fact, if you got kids here, real quick, I've got a picture of that day. Don't bring it up yet. Don't bring it up yet. You might want to, hey, you might want to just cover your kids' eyes for a second or whatever. Bring that up real quick. That's it. All right, take it down. Take it down. Brent sent me a picture later on. He's like, this is you, dude. That's your body. I was like, thank you so much, man. I've got friends that pour into me, man. But that was a horrible, embarrassing moment in my life. But you know what? I had prepared for that moment. My inactivity, me not taking care of my body, me not working out, me not eating right, had allowed my body the shape of nothingness. My stomach pushed my shorts down. My butt and back, there's no discernible difference. So gravity just goes whoosh. I had prepared for that moment. How many know that we're preparing for moments whether we realize it or not? Minutes are one thing, but we're preparing for moments. How many know that there's moments, though? Anybody like underdog stories? Oh, I love underdog stories. Hey, uh, man, there's moments like moments in time that just happen, and it's like, they were preparing in private, and their proximity to the situa- situation and their obedience let them have a legendary moment. Can you play this clip real quick? kid is a legend. I can't, you can't tell me he didn't spend minutes in front of a mirror saying, if the day ever comes, if they ever bring a dance battle to me, I've got this. I'm, going, I'm not even going to do it because it's going to be ugly. But that kid had prepared for that moment. He didn't know when that moment would come, but when it did, he stepped into it. See, our minutes, though inconsequential, are thrusting us towards a moment. They're thrusting us towards a moment. But some of our moments we have no control over. Might be the death of a family member or a friend. We have absolutely no control over, and we'll let that hurt settle in, and we'll live in that moment. Some of those moments could be even worse than that. It could be a rape or a sexual assault or something like that. They had no control over that moment. But what it could do, if they live in that moment, it will limit the amount of positive moments they can have moving forward. They will just stay in that moment. And it don't just go for negative moments. Sometimes we have one of these moments right there that that kid just had and think that's the best it'll ever be. And we don't see the greatness that lies ahead of us. There's actually another way of looking at these minutes and moments. And the Greeks talked about this. It was called Kronos and Kairos moments. Kronos time, Kairos moments. 
Chronos is where we get the word chronological from. It's how we measure time. It's how we measure our lives quantitatively. See, before communities noted the passage of time independently, and it was based on like geographical locations, um, agricultural rhythms, wars, life events, they measured times like this. They might say something. If we were living, if we are in the present day and we said stuff like this, this is what it would be. This year, this year might be marked in the final year of the rule of Biden. That's how they measured time back then. Or it might be in the, in the season of The Golden Bachelor. Any of y'all ladies watch The Golden Bachelor? I hope not. But see, like anything quantifiable, like anything that we can measure, we quickly learn to worry about it, whether we have enough, to, enough of it. How many times do you say, dude, is there not enough time in the day? I've got to get this done. I've got to go. I've got to get this done. If our cultural lexicon has anything to say about it, we come up with phrases like this. Time waits for no one. Don't waste time. Time is of the essence. Time is money. We are consumed by time. We're afraid of losing it. We're afraid of running out of it or being consumed and ravaged by it. Time becomes restrictive, demanding, and consuming. Chronos time, it seems, will eat us alive if we don't constantly keep track of it and try to control it. It'll eat us alive, too, if we don't try to keep track of it. The same is true, the opposite of that. Time by the minute, though, it does something for us. You know what time by the minute does for us? It gives us an expiration date. When we become aware of our time here, we know subconsciously, unconsciously, that there is an end goal. There's an expiration date. It ain't like a jug of milk that says November 11th, but there's this time stamp on your life. And a lot of our stress, anxiety, fear comes from knowing that there's an end. So we place so much importance on the minutes we have in a day, and we miss out on the moments God has for us. We become consumed by it. See, there's a lot of tension and fear because of this, but Paul addressed this in his letter to the Ephesians. He said this in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. How many knows we're living in dark days right now? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, Cairo's time is different from Kronos' time. Paul talks about time right here. See, the Greeks considered Cairo's time the most appropriate for a new season. And here's where it got its root from. It was from the concept, got its origins in Greek archery. It represented the moment when the archer finds the perfect opening to shoot his arrow and hit his target. That's Cairo's time. That's that moment time. It is about moments, not minutes. It's often used to define the right moment, the opportune moment, that defining moment we talked about earlier. It's placed, its importance is placed on value. Value, the value of your life. What are you doing with the time that you've been given? It's a period of time. It's also like a season, a season of life. I know nothing about agricultural rhythms. I am not a farmer. I have no idea, but I do know there's seasons to plant stuff. 
There is also football season. There's basketball season. There's the appropriate time. Now football and basketball season has overlapped, so there's something going on my TV every night, and my kids and wife love it. They, can, they don't share the same appreciation for sports that I do. But there's a season for everything. And if you don't miss it, if you don't listen, you'll miss that season for your life. If you're not listening to the, to the voice of God, if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit inside of you, you'll miss that moment. You'll miss that season. See, Ephesians 5 reminds us there are kairos moments, and they can happen at any moment. They can happen at any time. We need to settle down, try to hear the voice of God clearly. Listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit that Austin was talking about. It's like everybody that came up here tonight or today had read my notes. God wanted to do something in this moment. The NLT says this verse like this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly but understand what the Lord wants you to do. We need to be intentional with our influence. You're saying, Casey, I, I don't really have any influence. I'm just a teenager, or nobody listens to me. I can promise you this. You're influencing somebody for good or bad, no matter who you are. You need to be very intentional with your influence. What are you doing when other people are around? That time matters. Uh, our buddy Rick sends us a text out every day. He says, hey, as you go about the day, think about what it would be like if your daughter went up in front of her school and read a list of what you had done that day. Would you be happy about what you did? And that was like, man, I, I don't know that I would. I don't think I would like anybody to hear that list. We need to be very intentional about our time. See, the Greek phrase Paul used here, this opportune moment, is actually exagorazo kairos. And this is way different than kairos time because what he means is literally to buy back or redeem time. Ain't that what Jesus did for you? Hey, we can make a mountain of mistakes, and Jesus says, hey, I paid it all so I could redeem that time. I could buy back the time. I could buy back what the enemy tried to steal from you. It's like a tug of war, guys, where opportunity, kairos, is in the middle, and we're pulling one way while the devil or the enemy is pulling the other way. But that's really not what's happening here. Opportunity is not in the middle. Opportunity is not in the neutral ground. Opportunity is in hostile territory. That's where your opportunity will lie. And it's not going to be where you're safe. I can promise you that. This brings me to the story of Joseph. Anybody heard the story of Joseph? I love the story of Joseph. Most of us have heard about this biblical hero, and I love it. It's tempting to look at Joseph's life at the very end when he's second only to Pharaoh and say, man, he made it. And not think about all the trials and things he went through, all the obedience, the faithfulness he endured. He endured all kinds of things to get to that moment. It's easy to ignore that stuff. See, Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. How many of y'all today would say, I'm the favorite of my parents? Come on. I mean, uh, Hunter's like, well, not me. You know. Brent, Brent, we know you are because you're the only one, bro. 
My parents are not here to say anything. Neither is Chris Kelly or Steven, so I'm the favorite. It's just the way it is. They love me. See, it's tempting to look and say, wow, that was the pinnacle. But we, it, it's not. That's what he went through is what matters in this story. Joseph, we know him in children's classes as Joseph in the coat of many colors. Okay, if you grew up in my house, in my family right here, my daughter Chloe, when we were younger, we used to play Bible trivia all the time. And I said, who wore the coat of many colors? And Chloe confidently answered with a, man, she just knew. She said, Dolly did. She said, Dolly did. You know, Dolly, I said, Chloe, you're not wrong. That's not the answer I was looking for, but you're not wrong. We know Joseph from that, from the coat of many colors. See, Joseph was a dreamer. Man, Joseph was a dreamer. And he had an extreme amount of faith. And here's what Joseph did. He took God for his word. If God said it, he believed it, and he believed that it was true for his life, and he was willing to walk on in the obedience of God. He was willing to do it, no matter if he met resistance from his own family. See, I seldom... And even now, I seldom read the story of Joseph. And it's found through Genesis 37 through 50. We're not going to put it up here. If y'all want to go back and read it for yourself, it would be great. But I barely ever read that story without a tear coming up in my eye. To me, it's one of the most emotional stories in the Bible. And here's why. As a 17-year-old, Joseph had big dreams, y'all. But his brothers seized him and sold him into slavery. How many of you know that just because you have vision, other people are not going to celebrate you? Just because you have a vision doesn't mean that somebody else is going to say, good job. Sometimes it will come from your own family. For 13 years, he endured slavery, prison, heartbreaking disappointment after heartbreaking disappointment. But at age 30, he was summoned to the palace to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. These events led to Joseph becoming the second in command only to Pharaoh. His obedience led to millions of people being saved from starvation. Millions. And at the end of the story, he saved his own family, including the brothers that had turned him in. And that wrecks me. I betrayed my own family. You know what I mean? But Joseph forgave. And then what he told his brothers, it was, it, it, that line has reverberated through time. Matter of fact, if you come into my house, it'll be the first thing you see written on the wall. My mom prayed it over me. My wife prayed it over me. And now we're living in that. If you've seen that slideshow, we're living. Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done. The saving of many lives. That's what God does. He redeems time. you got a story. It's not my story, but God gave it to you, and it's intended for somebody else. I can promise you that. When God blesses you, it's seldom for you. It's probably for somebody else. So here's the thing about Joseph's story. The Lord took the iron chains that was around Joseph's feet, and he put gold chains around his neck. Ain't that cool? Man, ain't that cool? 
Man, this story is powerful motivation for us. It can prepare us for the purpose God has for us. I've got a few things. I didn't write a bunch of notes. This is not a practical message. This is a message that's meant to challenge. I didn't have five points and, and these thoughts and these fill-ins. God just wants to challenge us this morning. Number one, be refined, not defined by problems. Rather than our problems defining us, we should let God refine our hearts through these problems. Dr. J.I. Packer wrote this, We should not be too taken aback when unexpected and upsetting and discouraging things happen to us now. What do they mean? Simply that God in His wisdom means to make something of us which we have not attained yet. That means God is up to something in your life. If you're going through something and you don't understand it, maybe God is up to something. You need to remember that. I know it's hard when you're going through the bull crap to say, wow, man, God, I know you got something good planned for this. No, but if you can step back and reflect and look on your life, you can start to see God directing traffic. And you say, thank you, Jesus. You were there the whole time. Man. Joseph's story is about a young man who was refined, not defined by his problems. He illustrates this truth that's found throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul told us this, Boast in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. James repeats this mantra in similar terms. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That sounds really good until you're going through some crap. But you got to know and you got to look back and say, God, you have ordained this. No, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know you're going to use it. I don't know. I don't know about you, but it helps me to know that my problems and the junk I've went through in life are not insignificant, are not meaningless, and they're not going to be wasted. They're not going to be wasted. I want you to think of the biggest problem you got right now in your life. I've got a lot of them. Maybe you are not like me, but we all have got problems going on. Hey, this right here, this playground up here, it presents us with problems every day. I want you to think about the most vexing problem you have in your life. Just think about it for a minute. Doesn't it help to know that that problem, God has determined to, to use that for good, to refine your qualities of perseverance, character, and hope? In God's economy, nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted. We need to be refined, not defined by persecution. Joseph also shows us how we are refined, not just by problems, but by persecution. When my mom and dad started this church in 1983, dad was met with persecution. Mom was met with persecution. This was the first Pentecostal church in this area, and we were talked about like dogs. Dad did not care. He didn't back down. He had a vision that this church was going to bring community. It was going to network to other churches, and we were going to start to see what the body of Christ looked like. Dad never got to see that dream. But last weekend, we had about 150 men, several different denominations recognized, and they were all singing and praising God. Hey, if you're getting persecuted, you're probably on the right track. Yeah. 
Here's another thing. You're probably not going to go through all the martyrdom, torture, and everything else that these earlier people went through. That's probably not going to be you. But here's the thing is we live in an indifferent world, and that's just as bad as us having wars and stuff. When we have watered down the gospel and Christianity to nobody knows what to believe, that's just as harmful. It's up to us to start having Kairos moments with other people. The Bible teaches us that every follower of Jesus will face persecution. And here's the deal. If you are not facing persecution, then you are probably not telling your story right. Or you're probably not telling it enough. You will, you will face pushback. Next, refined, not defined by people. We are also refined by people, even the negative ones. You have some negative people in your life. Who has some negative people in your life? They got that fren frenetic energy when they come into a room. Like, just that anxious energy. You're like, oh, my gosh. I don't know what happened, but as soon as they come in, I'm like, oh, I want to get out of this room. You ever have those people in your life that just bring that frenzied energy? Hey, God will even put those people in your life to refine who you are. Hey, just remember, eight years ago, I was a really bad person. God put me in somebody's life so I could refine them. That's the truth. God does that for people. You see, the, the description we get in Genesis of, uh, of Joseph is sparing in its description of what actually happened. But in Psalms 105, 18, they say this about him. His tormentors hurt his feet with fetters and put his neck in an iron ring. It's distressing to think about this 18-year-old kid stripped naked, chained, put in irons, and marched mercilessly across the blazing desert to be sold at the auction block. And it's distressing to think that. But talk about forgiveness. Man, sometimes I don't even have the forgiveness. After I've been so much grace, I'm so easy to say, God, why would this people? But when I think back, when I think of my life, and I think about what God's done, man, I just want to forgive like Joseph. I want to forgive like Joseph. It might have took years for Joseph to process what had actually happened. If you've ever been through a traumatic event, you didn't just know. You had to reflect back on it later on and start to put together, oh, that's why I acted a certain way. Joseph didn't know these things, but he came to the understanding, I've got to start forgiving these people. I have a purpose. I don't even know what God's got planned, but I know I'm walking in purpose. And God has a moment orchestrated for me. What it says right here, though, in Genesis 45, 4 through 8, he, when he revealed his identity at the end of the story to his brothers, struggling to hold back his tears, he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and the earth. So now it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. Joseph had an understanding of his circumstances that, hey, no matter what happens, you didn't do this to me. God sent me here, and he's going to make something good of it. He had an understanding of that. I would never minimize the suffering of other people at the hands of people. 
we, we live in a cruel world, and here's the honest reality. The people we love the most will hurt us the most deeply. But God has a way of redeeming time and redeeming moments that can pull us back together. God has a way of doing that. Give him your hurts. Put it under the blood of Jesus. Let him exagorazo kairos. Redeem the time. We need to be refined, not defined by God's purpose. God's ultimate purpose for our lives is to refine us into vessels reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. That's it. The, one of the most remarkable aspects of the story of Joseph is how it involves the parallel between his story and the story of Jesus. Have you ever thought about those parallels? Think about this. He was dearly loved. He was the dearly loved son of his father, clothed with regal garments, who was rejected by his brothers, stripped and abused, sold for pieces of silver, bound and condemned unjustly. Though sorely tempted by Potiphar's wife, he did not sin, and nothing bad was ever said of him. Despite his flawless character, he was a servant. On one occasion, he found himself between two criminals, one who was lost and the other who was saved. At the age of 30, this man entered his life's great work of saving the world, and he uttered these words, Do not be afraid. And he knew how to forgive in a way that is almost unimaginable. Though he descended to the lowest place, he was exalted to the highest. A man who reverence and respect was given. He sat on the most powerful throne known to man. Does that not, men Does that not mirror the life of Christ? Dr. W.A. Criswell said this. When he read the story of jo Joseph, he seemed to have the same feelings in his heart as when he read the story of Jesus. It almost seems to be a story of our Lord in miniature and in advance. Everything that happens to us can be a refining stage towards being more like Christ. He can redeem that time. And I know this sounds cliche, but we can either be bitter or we can get better. Instead of letting our problems define us, allow God to do as he promised to do in Zechariah 13.9. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Play this clip real quick. Kels, thank you. Set my shot up, and there it was. Towering over his body on the ground, seeing that his eyes rolling in the back of his head, and the position that his body laid like a murder scene, but it was over. He was out. He was completely out. Were you out? Yeah. I was gutted. I, I just, my heart sank. I was gutted. He ain't getting up from that. Doesn't move. It's over. But I think that's been Tyson Fury's life. Just when it looks like he's down and he ain't moving and it's over, he resurrects himself. I had a dream before that fight. And I saw myself getting knocked down in it. And I saw myself getting back up. It's not over till it's over. 
it's hard to beat somebody that doesn't want to quit. He popped his eyes wide open. Oh my goodness! And all of a sudden, he comes to life. Is he gonna get up? Can he get up? Don't lie. No way. How is he getting up? How is this man possibly getting up? I just kept counting, and he was up by nine. It was almost like a fairy tale. Oh my goodness! Somehow Fury has managed to get up. We knew he could box and move, but no one knew that this guy had the heart. Can you continue? You want to go? I said, "Are you okay?" He looked at me and he said, "Yes." I said, "Do you want to continue?" He looked at me and he said, "Yes." The referee is having a very, very close look at him. Jack Reese could have waved it off at any point. He didn't. He was good to his word. He honored his word. Walk over there and come back to me. Come in. He was in full control of his body. He actually did a little bit of a bounce there. I'm about to let a tornado across the ring come at this guy. I got to make sure he can defend himself. There's a shake of the head from Wilder as much as to say, what is this in there against me? How is he doing this? Mentally, once you take yourself out of the fight, and then suddenly you have to put yourself back in the fight. It can be shocking. You definitely know that there is a God because God was on his side that night. And when Wilder saw Tyson get up, I think he realized what he was actually in there with. Here comes Wilder again, trying to land massive headshots. Fury trying to keep away as the clock continues to tick down. Fury crazily, his arms behind his back. Great punch, great punch from Fury. Where did that come from? And now Wilder's holding on. He not only got up and came back, but then he started giving Wilder a beating. How could that be? I mean, I'd never seen anything like that before. When he says he's a fighting man, he means it. I showed that video because, man, it exactly mirrors and exemplifies our life struggles. It can seem like we can get knocked down by each round of life. It can seem like everybody around us is counting us out. The people in his own corner thought, this dude does not have a shot. said I got up I got up I'm not going to let those previous rounds define who I am I'm not going to let that decide what I do moving forward God is in control not anybody else they don't have control I just got to give it to him and see what happens Tyson Fury was a man possessed by purpose how many of us are just okay with just moving through life just moving through life at an okay pace not worrying about the moment just surviving in the minutes we can think about it like this we can let our moments define us or we can let God define our moments that phrase we've been using exegorazo kairos to buy back or redeem time that's literally what God did for Abraham it's what he did for Joseph it's what he did for Esther it's what he did for me and if you let him into your heart he'll do it for you too that's what God does 
Jesus had the biggest Kairos moment in human history. The biggest moment ever. The infinite stepped into the finite and became Exagorazo Kairos. He stepped here and he died for me and you so he could buy back and redeem the time that the enemy tried to steal from you. And if that ain't worth shouting on, man, I don't know what is. See, we can walk in the certainty of knowing that Jesus paid it all. That Jesus paid it all. The stress and uncertainty that drives us to keep up with every single minute of every single day that we're not going to have enough time can be vanquished. See, there was a man named Solomon. He's a pretty smart guy. And he said this in Ecclesiastes. He said, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their tool? What do we get just living the minute by minute life? See, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time, but he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. And they can't think about what he's done. See, Solomon right here, he was wrestling with the tension of living his everyday life. He was wrestling with keeping up with the minutes, knowing that he had an expiration date. The tension that was saying, God, I only have this amount of time. There's a season for everything, but what am I going to do? He goes through all these Kairos moments. And then he says this, God has put a burden on us. Did you know that God has put a tremendous burden on the human race? And here's the burden. The burden is he made us eternal and then put us in time. He made us eternal. Let me let you grasp what I'm talking about right here. We are the only species alive that is actually self-aware and is aware that there is an end. My dog, although he's a pretty smart dog, when he looks in the mirror, he thinks there's another dog behind him. We can actually sit around and talk about the complexities of life and think about the existential questions that no other animal is thinking about. God put eternity in our hearts. He made us eternal. And it wasn't a cruel joke. That's how he made us from the, from the beginning. Then that fall happened. God wants to exagorazo kairos. He wants to redeem that time. He wants to renew us and put us back where we once was. That's it. That's what God's whole plan is. You know what? Every other animal that I just talked about that is not conscious, they're just surviving, living in the moment, grazing. My dog's sitting over there chasing his tail. He don't know what's going on right now. But here's the thing about all those other animals that can enjoy the moment. We as a 
as a human species can enjoy the moment but what good is a moment if we miss out on eternity what good is living in a moment if we miss out on eternity it could be that negative moment that's holding you back it could also be that positive moment there's never going to be anything greater God requires greatness from you and it's not because you can do it it's because he can do it through you Paul addresses this in his letter to the Corinthians. See, Paul, Paul and Solomon were on the same track. Paul or Solomon said, no one can fathom what God is thinking. And then he stops. That's pretty hopeless, right? God is all-knowing. All we can't think what he thinks. It's pretty obvious. But then Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, no one can know a person's thought except the person's own spirit. That's right. You can't know what I'm thinking. You might think you know what I'm thinking, but you don't. That's what Paul's saying. He said, and no one can know God's thought except for God's own spirit. Him and Solomon were on the same track. But then Paul says this. And we have received God's spirit so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. It says once hey, there was no standing back, but now we've received that same spirit and we can know the thoughts of God. And the thought is, is that we are eternal creatures that he put in. See the stress and the tension and the anxiety we feel about living in this finite world can be alleviated if we start to realize we're not just highly evolved complex species. We are actually the image of God slowed down into time. You are actually the image of God slowed into time. You heard Pastor Austin say earlier, God, outside of space and time, created time. You know what that means Jesus did? Jesus became time so he could rescue you from it. The infinite became finite to rescue you from your death. That's beautiful. Tiffany's going to sing a song. The band's going to sing a song. And we're going to live in this moment for a minute. And I want you to think, what does God want for me in this moment?